0: Good morning, I want to welcome you again to our worship service and I welcome everybody who's watching online. I apologize for that last cough, I had to get it in there, so anyways, didn't didn't we have some incredible worship this morning? That was awesome, I'm so appreciative of them, so thankful for them, they do a great job and you know what, they work really hard. All right, so here we are, Merry Christmas, we're in the second Sunday of Advent, and remember, the whole thing that we're trying to do is we're trying to get ready for the baby Jesus. Not Christmas the holiday, Christmas the birth of the baby Jesus, right? So last time we started about, how do we do that? We begin by preparing our hearts, and the way we prepare our hearts is two ways. Number one, remember, we confess, we repent of our sin, and then we redirect our faith our eyes, and we focus them up. That's what we need to be doing. Today is the second part. And today, the message is simply this. I want all of us to know in here, this baby that was born in Bethlehem, oh, it was not just any baby. And you tell us that. (laughs) All right, so... I wanted to just kind of begin by sharing with you, um, I I bought a book uh, recently, it's called, Is Atheism Dead? It's written by Eric Metaxas. Eric has been here in Wichita and he's been, he's spoken a couple times, and uh, it's really a good book if, if if you want to read, if you're looking for a good book to read. But here's what I found out from that that I think is really interesting. Right now, atheists are really struggling with the fact that they have a bad reputation in the eyes of America, in the eyes of people. You see, they know that they are known for a stingy type of attitude and also a bah humbug type of attitude. And they should be concerned about that. Did you know that believers or people of faith, religious people, are 25% more apt to give of their finances to give out of what they have so they can help somebody who's a little bit worse off than they are. Whether that's providing food, whether that's providing or, or giving clothing, religious people are a lot more apt to do that than atheists are. And so that includes volunteering also. So the atheists are concerned about the fact that they want people to believe that they give just as much as religious people do. But there's a problem with that, isn't there? You know what the problem is? The problem is is they don't have in their heart what we have that gives us the desire to want to give, right? And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Christ living in all of you, you want to be like Him. And God the Father gave you an incredible gift in that baby Jesus, and now it's our desire to give that gift to everyone we possibly can, right? So, how many of you believe in Santa Claus? I do. Now, I'll tell you why. In the fourth century, there was a pastor by the name of Nicholas. Nicholas was known for his compassion and his giving of his own resources and resources of others so that those who were poor and less fortunate could be helped. Nicholas became so popular that they began to call him Saint Nicholas. And in the Dutch country, he was referred to as Sinterklaas, i.e. Santa Claus. But you know why he gave so much to others and to the poor? He did it because he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if I were to ask you to describe Santa Claus here's something that we would all agree on. He's a little older, and he has a long white beard. You know what's really funny? That's the exact description of the man that we're going to talk about in today's story. He's an older man, and he has a white beard, a long white beard, and he's here to tell all of us this baby that was born in Bethlehem, my dear friends in Christ, this is not just an ordinary baby. So stand with me out of respect for God's word. I'm going to read from the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to read verses 25 through 33. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was a righteous, and he was devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required... Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. This is God's word for God's people. Let's pray together. Father, I'm asking that you would remind us today that it's true that baby born in Bethlehem is not just any baby, he is the Christ of God, our Savior. Don't ever let me forget that or allow anything to get in the way of that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, I want to begin by showing you a picture, okay? And here's the picture. This is a picture of me in Israel at the Temple Mount, okay? I'm sitting on what is known as the Temple Steps. What they are known as in the temple, or at the Temple Mount is this, they're known as the Southern Steps. This is a very special place. And it's special because of what happens there. Now I wanna point out a couple things to you. The first thing is is that if you went over to this direction, you would have what is called the triple gate. There are three gates, that's where people would walk into the temple. If you would look up here in the corner, On the right-hand side, that's where the double gate is, and that's where people would come out. Now, the reason that these steps are so important is because where I'm sitting, Jesus actually walked. It's interesting that when you see people come in and they see these steps, a lot of them will bend over and they will kiss these steps as a type of worship, a form of worship, because the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, God's anointed Son, actually walked on these steps. Now, the reason that these steps are important is simply because of this. This was a place of teaching. This is where rabbis would bring their disciples, and they would teach them right here on these steps. And Jesus did a lot of teaching on these steps. This is also the place where Peter preached his sermon on Pentecost— This is also the place where little Jesus, age 12, would have walked out with his parents after his mom and dad had said, where have you been, son? And remember what he said? I was just, didn't you know I should be about my father's business in my father's house? All of that took place here. And so did the story that we're gonna talk about today. It took place right here on these temple steps. All right, now, I want to go back like we did last week to the book of Genesis. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, we hear the fall of man, right? But what we also forget sometimes is that we also get the first time this promise is made. The promise is not made to Adam and it's not made to Eve. The promise is spoken to the serpent. Remember what the promise was? Oh, you may bite him in the heel, but he is going to crush your head. That was the promise. What was God saying? He's saying, I've already got a plan in place because I can't even stand the thought of not being with my children. And so I'm sending a baby, I'm sending a savior who is going to save my people from their sin. My friends, all throughout the Old Testament, as you read the Old Testament, it is prophesied over and over and over again that a Messiah is coming. A baby is to be born. It even tells us it's going to take place in Bethlehem. Everything in the Old Testament points to him. And yet nobody knew that Jesus was coming. The Romans were in control. Caesar Augustus was the emperor. Did you know that many times he referred to himself as the savior of the world? He missed it. Herod the Great, who was king, assigned to Jerusalem. He missed it. And you know the thing that probably puzzles me more than anything? The high priest in Jerusalem, the high priest of the temple, the one who represented the people to to God, the one who was in charge of leading all of the people in worship, he missed it. But there was someone who didn't mess it. And she was a little girl. Look at what the Bible says here. The angel went to her and said, "'Greetings, you who are highly favored.'" Wouldn't you love for the angel to come and say that to you? "'The Lord is with you.'" Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, "'Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God.'" You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Here's what I want you to remember. Mary knew that Jesus was more than just a baby. Mary knew because the angel had told her that this was not just any baby, but this is a baby that will come from the Most High because his spirit will come over you, and you will become pregnant with this child. Mary knew i am about to give birth to a very very special baby but i also got to tell you this you guys she's not the only one who knew there was someone else the bible introduces us to a man by the name of simeon now we don't know a whole lot about simeon although we do know that he was an older man And because he was an older man, we knew he was Jewish. And because he was older and he was Jewish, that means that he would have had a long white beard. And the reason is because the Jews, the men didn't cut their beards. So here we have this man, he's older and he has a long white beard and he's waiting for something. Well, let's look and see what the Bible says here. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. And so what we know is this. We know that he was old because once he saw the Messiah, then he was ready to go and to fall asleep or to die and to be with the Lord. That's all we know about his physical appearance. That's it. The only other thing we know about him is this. The Bible says this. Simeon was a righteous and a devout man. Now just think about that. Those are two characteristics that are seen on the inside of a person, not on the outside of a person. Do you think that God might have a message for us here? I think he does. And you know what I think the message is? God's more concerned about what goes on on the inside of our lives than what is on the outside of our lives. God is more concerned about your heart than he is about your outward appearance. Oh, that's not us, is it? Oh, no, boy. We're concerned about the outward appearance, aren't we? I mean, think about it. How many of you stood in front of a mirror today? Oh, come on. I know this just doesn't happen. Sorry, no. But it's true, right? I mean, we look in the mirror. I've heard people say, you know what I love about our church? Those glass windows, they're really mirrors. It's hilarious to watch you walking into church. (laughs) You know, what's even more funny is this. Okay, so my office is right back here. I have some of those windows right in front of outside of my office there. People forget, especially the choir and the orchestra people, when they walk in, it's funny when they first clutch and catch that glimpse of themselves in the mirror, and all of a sudden it's like, you know what I mean? Here's the other thing. Some people go right up to that, and they'll put on their lipstick, and I just want to say so badly, so I'm just telling you, there's somebody on the other side of that mirror, okay? It's me, all right? But you know what? We are so worried about what we look like on the outside, and God says, I'm more concerned about what's going on on the inside, Look at this scripture verse here. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. That's what God is telling us in this story of Simeon. All right, now, I want to make sure that I don't lose my place and I don't forget that where I am. But you know, one of the things that, that I will say is that there's one other thing that is mentioned here and it's mentioned three different times. And I'm not sure if you caught it. But on three different occasions in the verses that I read, it mentions Simeon aligned with the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? The first time it says that the Holy Spirit was on him. The second time it tells us that the Holy Spirit was revealing to him. And the third time it tells us that the Holy Spirit was directing him. Now that gives us a lot of insight because in those days, the Holy Spirit wasn't given to everybody. He kind of moved in and out of people's lives. But Simeon, three times in these eight verses, it's mentioned that he was associated with the Holy Spirit. All right, watch this. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. All right, now I want you to look at something there. You see where it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel? I know you're probably asking, well, what does that mean? Here's what it means. It means he was simply waiting to see the Messiah. That's all it means. So here we have Simeon. He's this righteous and devout man, and he's waiting to see the Messiah. All right, now, let's leave that story, and let's go back and find out where are Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph are in a small town called Nazareth, remember? That's where the angel came and spoke to Mary, and that's where she became pregnant. That's where she had to go tell Joseph, um, I know we're not officially married yet, but um, I'm pregnant. And Joseph probably went, ah, bah, 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 you know what I mean? How? How did this happen? And Mary told him. An angel came and visited me. His name was Gabriel. He stands in the presence of the Most High, and he told me that the Spirit of the Living God would come over me, and I would be with child. All right, now, look at this scripture verse here. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. So here's where the Bible tells us, again, that Mary and Joseph will give birth to this baby in Bethlehem. Nazareth is 90 miles from Bethlehem. The average person in those days could travel 20 miles a day. A pregnant woman is not an average person. They had something, a donkey or something to go with, and the most that she probably could go would be 10 miles a day. So we're talking about a nine-day trip. Now here's the question I want you to think about. How in the world is Almighty God going to get Mary and Joseph and the baby Bethlehem? Well, I know you know the answer. It's through a man by the name of Caesar Augustus, right? Caesar Augustus was the emperor, and Caesar Augustus decided, I'm going to have a census. All right, now I want to tell you a little bit about a census. A census was used to know how many you had in your military. It basically was a bragging right. Right? Caesar wanted to take account of all his military men because, remember, the Roman government, this was the powerful government that ruled the world. And he just wanted to know how many he could brag about. So the very first thing we do is that he called the census for military purposes. Now, I want to remind you of something that it says in the Bible, and I think this is the way it goes. Some men trust in chariots, some in horses. Remember the rest of it? But we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Here's the second reason why he called a a census, taxes. It took money to run the government. It took money for Caesar to have all of his special projects. And so he decides this is the way we're gonna do it, okay? All right, now I did a little bit of studying this and I found out something that I didn't realize. A lot of historians believe that it wasn't because Caesar Augustus called for this census that that was not necessarily the reason why Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. You know what they believe? it says? They believe because the Jewish nation was so big on family and tribe and patriarchs and clans that it was the Jewish people who simply said this, if he's going to take a census, we want all of you to go to your homeland. And remember, they were from the clan of Judah. And that's how they got to Bethlehem. All right, now, here's what I want you to think about. Isn't it amazing how God used this man, Caesar Augustus, and he unfolds his plan to bring his son into the world? Excuse me. (coughs) Here's what I want you to remember. God is sovereign, but I want you to see it. Whoever rules, God always overrules. Can we read that together, please? Like you know it and you mean it. Let's say it together. Ready? Here we go. Whoever rules, God always overrules. If you believe that, it doesn't matter who's in the White House, it doesn't matter who leads the Senate or who has control of the House. If God is sovereign, Then our hope is in him, no matter who is leading this nation or the world. Amen? Amen. Doesn't that make you feel good? Oh, I'm so thankful for that. All right, now, I'm going to go on with this a little bit more. And I just want to share with you something else. So we know now that we have Mary and Joseph, and, and we know they're in Bethlehem. And what I want you to hear is this. I want you to realize, because I think there's somebody in here that really needs to hear this today. I want you to know that God is sovereign. He is so big. He is, such, he, is, he is the almighty God. But I also want you to know that he doesn't sit on his throne and watch what you're going through in your life. He comes down and he orchestrates your life. And he uses everything that you go through for his purposes. Now, Here's what I want you to remember. I talked about this a little bit ago. Do you remember when Jacob... God was confirming his covenant to Jacob and Jacob had been traveling. Remember, he took a siesta, he found a stone, he laid his head down and he had a dream that night. Remember what the dream was? There was a stairway going up and down, okay? The angels were going up and down and God was at the top and the next morning he woke up. Do you remember what Jacob said? Here's what he said. He goes, the Lord was in this place and I didn't even know it. You know what God's favorite prayer to answer of yours is? Is when you ask him, God, would you please reveal yourself to me? God loves to answer that prayer. But he'll do it in a way only you will know. Can I give you an example? When Lori and I were here as an associate pastor, we knew that God was calling us someplace. We didn't know exactly where. We were on our way down to South Lake Wales Church of God in Florida, and while we were there, honestly, I didn't care how much they were gonna pay me. I didn't care where we were gonna live. I was only looking for one thing. God, is this where you want us? I was sitting in a very small library, and in this library, the elders were were interviewing me. And I'll never forget this. While they were talking, I was kind of half listening, but I was more praying, and I was praying, God, if this is where you want me, I need you to show me, and I need you to leave no doubt. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Good, because God loves to answer that prayer. Here's what happens. We're in there, we're talking, and all of a sudden, I look at the shelf and all these library books, and there's this book there, and on the side of the book is written the name Beckler. All right, now, here's what I want to tell you about this. My uncle, Al Beckler, who now is with Jesus, was a type one diabetic. He lost his eyesight. He went through numerous kidney transplants. He went through all of these things and he wrote a book called The Gift of Life. I don't know how it got there, but that was the book that was right there on the shelf. It's like, God, thank you for hitting me over the head so that I know where I'm supposed to be. And my friends, my dear friends in Christ, God will do that for you. That's how much he loves you. He doesn't want you just walking through this earth blindly. No, he's got a plan for your life. And he's going to orchestrate everything. How did he orchestrate for that book to be in that library? I don't know, but he did it for me so that when I got there, I would see it and I would know. That's the God that we serve. All right, one other thing I just want to remind you of, and then we're going to wrap this up, okay? Do you remember who it was that Almighty God chose to be the first witnesses of the baby Jesus? Who was it? The shepherds, right? The Bible tells us that the angels came and they told the shepherds, hey guys, in the, city of Beth- in the town of Bethlehem, there's a Savior who is born. And this is how you know him. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, laying in a manger. And remember what the shepherds did? They went to see this thing that was told them about it. Now, here's what I want you to remember. Think about this. Bethlehem is just two miles outside of Jerusalem. You know what the shepherds watched over in the fields of bethlehem they watched over the lambs that were used to be the sacrifices for the sins of the people in the temple now just think about that so the angels come They're watching over these, raising these year old male lambs that will be used and be sacrificed for the lives of the people. And now the angels come. I want you now to leave these lambs and go see the lamb of God. Now think about this. The lamb that's going to put you out of business. Isn't that right? It's the lamb who would put them out of business because there would be no more need for another sacrifice. That's our God. All right, now. (coughs) The Bible tells us that Jesus came not to break the law, to fulfill the law. So the question is, is that how in the world did Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, (coughs) excuse me, how did they get to the temple and run into Simeon? Here's the answer. There were three things that were required of Mary and Joseph. The first one was on the eighth day, the baby Jesus, because he was a male, would have to be circumcised. It was the rite of circumcision. The second thing that they had to do is that 40 days after the birth, Mary would have to present herself to the temple as being purified. The third thing that happened is that the boy who was first born would have to be at the temple and be redeemed, in other words, given to the Lord... He was bought back. He was redeemed. Those were the three things that they had to do. All we're concerned about today is the first one, is the rite of circumcision. So you may ask, What's, what was the rite of circumcision? Here's what it means. On the eighth day, the child had to be performed, the rite of circumcision had to be performed on him because this went all the way back, and it was, listen to this, proof of the covenant between God and Abraham. The circumcision performed on baby Jesus was proof that he was a child of Abraham. He was a Jewish young man, okay? All right, now let me just share with you one thing that I just think is amazing, just because this is how God works. Sometimes I I wanna know why, and the question that I asked was, so why the eighth day? Why is it that God chose the eighth day for the child to be circumcised? You know what the answer is? Because not on day seven and not on day nine, on the eighth day, the clotting ability of the blood in a male human being is at its peak. Is that not amazing? Amazing. Not on day seven, not on day nine, but on day eight, the day that the baby boy is circumcised, the clotting is at its peak, which means that when the circumcision is performed, there will be a little bit of blood, but there won't be as much as there would be on day seven and day nine. Our God pays attention to details. All right, let's bring this to an end. I want you to look at this. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. All right, so I want you to picture what's happening. All that's been told to Simeon is this, you will see the baby, you will see the Messiah before you die. The Holy Spirit will tell you who it is. Now I want you to think about this. Simeon is in the temple, right? And every person that walks in with the baby, he's asking, is that him? Is that him? Is that him? Is that him? For days. And the Bible tells us that on that particular day, when Mary and Joseph came out of the double gate holding the baby, the Bible tells us that the Spirit said to Simeon, that's the one. Now I just want you to think about this, moms and dads. An old man with a white beard comes up to you and says, can I hold your baby? Mary probably looks at Joseph. It's okay with me. Are you okay with it? I guess. And the Bible says that Simeon takes the baby in his arms now, there's two things that he said. Remember the first one? Mine eyes have seen salvation. He holds this baby, and he's looking at it, and he is saying, my eyes have seen salvation. Here's what I think is important for us to remember. Write this down, okay? Okay. Salvation is not something you do, it is someone you know, and Simeon confirmed it. And then he said one other thing. He said, A light to lighten, a light to lighten the Gentiles, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. What did he mean? He simply means this. Simeon was telling us that the baby Jesus is God's flashlight out of the darkness. It doesn't matter how dark it is. When the light shows up, it always gives us the path. And now, Simeon is telling people throughout the entire world, this is the path out of darkness. This is the path out of sin. This baby, this Jesus is the Christ of God. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this incredible gift, this gift that you have given to us. This baby that Simeon held is the answer to all things for he is not just any baby. He is indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the savior of the world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to stand because I believe that this message of Simeon demands our response. And I just want you to join with me and sing. Oh, come, let us adore him. Here we go. Oh come, let us. Adore. that you are lost in your sin I want to tell you once again that the darkness had its gripped on you and you were headed to hell with that baby that was born in Bethlehem he's your path he's the light that leads you let's sing one more time worship this baby here we go oh the benediction as you leave. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace and his joy. God bless you. We'll see you next week.